Well, this is the third Sunday in this season we call Advent, and uh, these weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been looking at a few Old Testament passages of Scripture that talk about the coming Messiah, a baby that would be born that would be the salvation of God's people. Two weeks ago, we looked at a prophecy from Genesis chapter 3, last week from Exodus chapter 12, and today we're going to be staying in the early part of the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 18. It's a prophecy about a prophet that would come uh, that would even be greater than Moses. Now, to fully understand the role of an Old Testament prophet and the function, uh, you have to understand a little bit about Israel's uh, history as a nation. After Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness, it was Joshua who ultimately led the military conquest into the Promised Land. And that was Israel's official beginning as a nation on the world stage. But God's people didn't always follow him in obedience. And quite often they reverted back to the pagan ways of the culture around them. So the, the, uh, the, the telling of the future was not the major role of an Old Testament prophet. In fact, it was more a side effect than it was the main function. The primary role of the prophet was to speak with the people about what God, about recalling them to a, their walk with God. They served as sort of God's megaphones, if you will, declaring whatever God had asked them to say to the people. And what's interesting is that God himself is the one who defined the role of the prophet. He said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So throughout Israel's period of growth and uh, regression as a nation, prophets came about at many different times and spoke in specific situations. Some of the prophets, like Isaiah and Daniel, were well-loved, well-respected. Others were extremely unpopular, uh, even persecuted, uh, because they spoke out against the ungodliness of the people. But God's all, uh, God used prophets as the primary way of speaking to his people until Jesus took the stage many centuries later. So today we're going to see if we can make this connection between the Old Testament prophet and the one whose birth we celebrate in this season. So stay tuned for that. We're also today gonna to be blessing all of the Christmas gifts that were part of the Christmas giving tree, and uh, they are going to be distributed uh, later this week, so we'll do that in a few moments as well. But let's pray together, shall we? God, we, you are the one who visited this planet in Jesus of Nazareth, and we invite you to renew within us this morning the sense of your presence with us. We give thanks for all of your works of love and mercy and provision on our behalf. In covenant with you and with all your people, we come today to worship you. So open our hearts and our minds for all that you have for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At some point in time, some of us have gone looking for a job. Today, a lot of that, I guess, is online. In my day, it was in the back of the newspaper, the classified ads. Well, I want to share with you a help wanted ad that you might find interesting. This was from the Jerusalem Times, the uh, classified section, uh, many centuries ago. Spokesman needed for international firm. No experience necessary, 
No education required, must be between 20 and 85 years old. Full or part-time, exciting job with lots of travel, must be willing to move often, sometimes in the middle of the night. Must be comfortable speaking to large crowds, will meet often with the CEO who will instruct you on and brief you on what to say to the public. Important that you be able to move in all circles of society from the highest to the lowest, good vocabulary, a must, the ability to speak in colorful images, a big plus. Job entails an unusual diet, sometimes including locusts and wild honey. Must look good in ragged clothes that are covered in ashes. Unlimited opportunity for advancement. Low pay, but the benefits are out of this world. Must be willing to endure ridicule, persecution, slander, and occasional beatings. This job carries only one significant negative aspect. Make one mistake, and you will be stoned to death. Any takers? The classified ad describes the biblical role of the prophet. And if you wonder about that last sentence, I assure you that it's true. The test for a biblical prophet was 100% accuracy. Make one mistake, and you were a goner. As a matter of fact, the Jews had a well-defined procedure for stoning. The victim was stripped of their clothing, hands tied, paraded out of town, and placed on a scaffold nine feet high. The first official witness pushed the victim off the scaffold, and the second witness dropped a large stone on the victim's head or chest. Bystanders then pelted the dying man with stones. The corpse was then buried in a special place along with the stone that inflicted the fatal blow. No funeral ceremony or even a time of mourning was permitted. False prophets had to be stoned. That's what the law commanded. That's why prophecy was not a growth industry in ancient Israel. It was a risky way to make a living. Today what passes for prophecy is big business in our culture and not nearly as so risky. Every day millions of people read their horoscopes to find out uh, guidance for the future. Hundreds of millions of dollars are spent every year on astrologers, on fortune tellers, spiritualists, and things like the once popular Psychic Friends Network. Anybody remember those TV ads? Self-proclaimed New Age gurus travel from city to city peddling their brand of high-tech mysticism in hotel ballrooms. Years ago, thousands flocked to hear Shirley MacLaine spin her theories about reincarnation. Today, our favorite celebrities offer free advice in tell-all books and magazine articles and on daytime television talk shows. In, the, in late 1995, some predictions were made for the year 1996, and they were printed in one of those supermarket tabloids called the Weekly World News. And one article said it carried the predictions of Carl de Nostradam, allegedly the last living descendant of the famous 16th century French seer Nostradamus. And according to the article, this man, who may or may not have even existed, predicted the end of the world in 1999. But here were some of his predictions for 1996. A space shuttle astronauts would pick up a stray radio signal from deep space in March of, of 1996, and the broadcast was a frantic plea for help, would be a frantic plea for help from a planet in the Andromeda galaxy. 
and they would speak King James English. The world would recoil in shock and disbelief when the heads of four European states would be assassinated over a three-day period in July of 1996. An earthquake measuring 11.2 on the Richter scale will rock the city of Chicago in August or September, killing 6,000 and causing billions in damage. In the last one, President Bill Clinton would undergo emergency surgery to remove a softball-sized tumor, but he would survive the surgery. All of that may cause us to chuckle a bit and, uh, and, and think about the gullibility of the American reading public, but there are other prophets on the scene whose words were taken far more seriously. In 1994, there was a, a noted Christian broadcaster by the name of Harold Camping who predicted the second coming of Christ to the world in late September 1994. And when Christ did not come back, Mr. Camping was forced to admit that somehow he had fouled up his calculations. Camping predicted that Christ would return in judgment between September 15th and 27th. The 72-year-old Reformed Bible teacher issued his claims on his nightly open forum talk radio show, which aired on the family radio network that he founded 30 years before, 35 years. And when the predictions did not come true, Camping said that God was testing him and testing the righteous to see if we were still faithful to God. Unfortunately, many Christians believed in camping and his, and his predictions and were sorely disappointed when he was dead wrong. But not only that, multitudes of unchurched people who heard about these predictions found yet another reason to dismiss them and to dismiss any belief in the Christian faith. See, in all, Harold Camping's debacle was a sad commentary on the willingness of some Christians to follow anyone who claimed to have special knowledge. Was Mr. Camping a prophet? Not in the bi biblical sense, but he did make a prediction, then hedged and qualified it. And when you strip away all of the cautionary statements, he clearly predicted the second coming of Christ would be in the last few days of September 1994, but he was completely wrong. He's just lucky he didn't live during the Old Testament period of time. They had a severe way of dealing with people whose predictions didn't come true. But I wonder what prophet today would dare stake their life on the claims, on, on their predictions and their claims. But you know what? That is precisely the biblical standard. And that brings us to Deuteronomy chapter 18. In this passage of Scripture, Moses speaking to the people of Israel, and he's warning them against false prophets and promising that God was going to raise up a prophet like him from among the people. And he also explained the tests that should be applied to distinguish between true and false prophets. Let me share with you from Deuteronomy 18, beginning with verse 9, the word of warning. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. That was happening. And do not let your people practice fortune-telling, or use sorcery, or interpret omens, or engage in witchcraft, or cast spells, or function as mediums or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the, that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. 
but you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. God's word could hardly be clear. God detests witchcraft and sorcery and spells and all sorts of fortune-telling. And here, it's the, the words are very precise, they're very pointed, they're very penetrating. The people of God must, be, must utterly and completely separate themselves from the pagan culture around them. Now, what might that look like in our day? Well, could be astrology, could be psychic, uh, black magic, superstition, consulting a Ouija board, tarot cards, palm reading, channeling, reincarnation, Satanism, talking to spirits, witchcraft, omens, charms, talismans, all of that kind of thing, praying to the dead, communicating with the spirit world, crystal balls, all of that is completely forget, forbidden to Christ's followers. Why? Because these things are the marks of paganism. But many people today claim to bring messages from God. How can we tell the difference between a person who's truly speaking from God and one who's not? Well, verses 20 through 22 in this text from Deuteronomy give us two tests. The first test is the test of truth. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name and who speaks in the name of another God must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. The true prophet speaks the true words of God. That means we must check a prophet's words against the words of the scripture, the Bible. The prophet's words must match in letter and spirit what the scripture teaches. And if Anything they say contradicts the Bible in any way, forget it. That person is not from God. The second test was a test of accuracy. The test was simple. Check out the prophet's prediction against the end result. If what they say comes true, then you can be confident that they were a true prophet of God. We can ignore, if not, we can ignore them because they're not speaking for God. So we have two tests for a prophet, truth and accuracy. A true prophet will measure up on both counts all the time. See, the word prophet literally means one who speaks on behalf of another. Applied to the biblical prophets, it means one who's authorized to speak on behalf of God. Thus, when Isaiah spoke, he could claim divine authority for his words. He was literally acting as God's spokesperson, and that's why his words had to be 100% accurate. As long as he spoke for himself, he could make all kinds of mistakes, but when he claimed to be speaking for God, there was no margin of error. A biblical prophet had two primary functions. One, he delivered God's message to his own generation, and two, he predicted sometimes the course of future events. In the first role, the prophet upheld God's righteousness and he condemned injustice. Now the prophets often were dealing with social issues of their day, they dealt with problems of immorality and revealed the standards of God's holiness. They dealt with the problems of drunkenness and condemned the overuse of wine. They condemned the oppression of the poor and the fatherless and the widows. They condemned unjust extortion and interest rates and taxation where it was not due. They condemned the greed uh, for the purpose of material gain at the expense of other people. And they condemned businessmen for using false weights and measures. 
Because of their bold denunciation of sin, the prophets were often, as you can imagine, very unpopular people. Many were hated, some were persecuted, and even some put to death. Now in the second role, the prophets predicted the rise and fall of many nations, sometimes the outcome of military battles, and the judgment of God on disobedient leaders. Sometimes their predictions were immediately fulfilled, sometimes centuries would pass before those predicted events would occur, but in every case, the prophets were held to strict standards of accuracy. That meant that often the prophets themselves would not live to see their words fulfilled, leaving them mocked by their contemporaries, but eventually vindicated by time. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, God promises that through Moses, he's going to raise up a line of godly prophets in Israel. And that line would culminate in one person who would be the prophet like me that's spoken of in verse 15. Moses continues, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Verse 18 gives us the same promise, only this time in God's words. I will raise up a prophet like you from among your fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I commanded them. You see, Moses was the first and the greatest of all the Old Testament leaders and prophets. He spoke to God face to face. He was the man God used to to do great miracles, both in Egypt and in the wilderness. No other prophet after his time would approach his greatness. Other notable prophets would come along, Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Micah and Zechariah and Malachi, to name a few, and these prophets would fulfill the twin roles of denouncing sin and predicting the future. And with regard to the 100% accuracy test, anyone may check their words to see if those predictions came true. There's a great little book that was written in the mid-90s by Josh McDowell called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And what he's done in this little book is he takes this great collection of prophecy in the, old, in the, uh, in the Bible and he talks about... Um, what the prophecy is and the fulfillment. It's really a kind of a standard among a lot of folks for uh, Christian apologetics and defending of the Christian faith. And you can pick that up and you can look at it. It's a great little book. But you might ask at this point, what connection does all of this have to do with Christmas? Why are we talking about all of this Old Testament prophecy and prophetic stuff in this teaching series when we're talking about revealing the Messiah from the pages of the Old Testament, actually there is a pretty strong connection because the prophecy of Deuteronomy chapter 18 specifically talks about a prophet who will come with four characteristics. He is raised up by God, meaning he has a divine calling. Secondly, he will be like Moses. He will be from among the people of Israel and he will speak with God's authority. Now, it's interesting to discover that the Jews had always, always understood that this prophecy would be one day fulfilled in a literal way by the coming of the prophet. And that person would either come before the Messiah or would, in fact, be the Messiah. And that explanation helps us explain the dialogue that was going on between the Jews and John the Baptist in John chapter 1. In, in, in that passage, we see 
This was John's testimony when some of the Jewish leaders came to him and they sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? And John comes right out and says, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you, they ask. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet we've been expecting? The prophet? No. When they said the prophet, both the Jews and John the Baptist understood that this is a reference going back to Deuteronomy 18. The same thing happened to Jesus when he was performing the miracle of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. The crowd responds by saying, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And again, a reference to Deuteronomy 18. Later he spoke to the multitudes at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And some of the people exclaimed, surely this man is the prophet. John 5 records a long dialogue between Jesus and his antagonists when they question his credentials to be the Messiah. And at the end of the debate, he summarizes his position by referring them to Moses, who was universally revered in Judaism, and he basically accuses them of not believing Moses' words. When Mo and he said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And obviously, that's a reference back to Deuteronomy 18. Now let's run the tape forward just a bit to we get to Easter Sunday. Jesus suddenly appears to a couple of people walking along the road to Emmaus. But they don't recognize him, and when Jesus asks them what they're talking about, uh, they reply that they are discussing what just happened to Jesus of Nazareth. A prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Now, of all the words they could have used that day to describe Jesus, Master, Savior, Lord, Redeemer, they call him the prophet. When Jesus revealed his true identity, he called them foolish for failing to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scripture the things concerning himself. And we must assume that his exposition included Deuteronomy, 9, or Deuteronomy 18. Now, if there's any doubt remaining about Jesus being the prophet like Moses, let's consider one final verse in Acts chapter 3. Here we have a story of Peter who's uh, healing a crippled beggar in the temple courtyard, and a crowd is gathered around in amazement um, to watch this formerly crippled man now walk under his own power. And Peter, uh, Peter begins to preach a pretty powerful sermon. And he tells them that this miracle has been done by the power of Jesus, the same man that they just crucified a couple of weeks earlier. And in part, his proof is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And Peter goes on to quote Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. So one more time, let's consider Moses and Jesus. Moses was raised up by God. Jesus was sent by God. Moses spoke to God face to face. Jesus was himself God. Moses came from the people. Jesus came from the people. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. Moses performed miracles. Jesus performed miracles. Moses gave the law. Jesus brought grace and truth. See, the evidence is clear and it's overwhelming. Jesus is the prophet like Moses promised in Deuteronomy 18. He's the ultimate fulfillment of a promise that was made 
1,500 years before his birth. But only one question remains, and that is, what does this, this whole fulfillment mean for us today? Why should it matter to us that Jesus is the great prophet sent by God? Let me offer three responses. First, Jesus is the one who declares the true word of God. When Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, his hearers commented that he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. You know, when I'm, I was thinking this week, when I'm writing a message like today, I look for documentation, I look for references and quotes and all that kind of stuff to back up what I'm saying because I don't have authority in my own power to teach the things of God. But Jesus didn't need any of that. He had God's authority as the heaven-sent prophet. Think about these five statements about his own words. He claimed divine authority for his words. He said his words would bring eternal life. He declared that his words would never pass away. He ordered his words carried around the world. And he said that the ultimate destiny of men and women depended on our response to his words. These are not the statements of just some religious leader. Only the prophet from God could make such claims for himself. Therefore, when he speaks, we need to listen because he speaks the truth of God. Secondly, Jesus diagnoses the human condition. At this point, I'm thinking of the controversy in a story in Mark chapter 7 regarding the Jewish custom of ritual purification, and Jesus plainly declares, it is what comes from inside that defiles us, for from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Now in John chapter 3, Jesus explained why people turn away from the truth when it's staring them right in the face. And he said, all who do evil hate the light. And they refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Because there's something, there's something evil inside every human heart that makes us instinctively hate the light and love the darkness. And we turn away from truth because the light exposes the darkness inside of us. But God saved, or Jesus saved his most scathing words for the ultra-religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he calls them hypocrites and blind guides and fools and whitewashed tombs and snakes because Jesus is the true prophet of God. He understands the secrets of the human heart. There is nothing that is hidden from Christ. Though we try to cover our sin with this veneer of being religious, it doesn't fool him for a second. He sees right through us and he exposes our sin and he calls it what it really is. Third, Jesus predicts the true course of future events. Jesus made certain specific predictions regarding his second coming, and he describes in some detail the moral condition of the world in the last days before he returns to this earth. And he talks about attacks on the nation of Israel and the rise of false religion. And, and his words on the subject may be found in, in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Since some of these events may yet be in the future, we can't check them all for accuracy yet. However, Jesus made five specific predictions that were fulfilled in his lifetime or shortly thereafter. He predicted that one of his inner circle would betray him, and that was fulfilled by Judas. 
He predicted his crucifixion, and that was fulfilled on Good Friday in Jerusalem. He predicted his resurrection, and that was fulfilled on Easter Sunday morning in Jerusalem. He predicted the coming of the Holy Spirit, and that was fulfilled at Pentecost, and he predicted the fall of Jerusalem, and that was fulfilled in A.D. 70 by the Roman army. Everything that he predicted came true exactly as he predicted it. It's precisely what we'd expect from the true prophet of God. One more time, back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. When Moses promised a prophet like me, he added an important phrase in verse 15, and it says, you must listen to him. And then he adds a word of warning from God. Verse 19, I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. You see, when a prophet speaks, we have two choices. We can either listen to what the prophet says, or we can disregard their words. There are no other options. Even if we say, you know, I'd really like to think about it a while, that's really the same as disregarding the prophet's words. If Jesus is the true prophet of God, then each of us either need to listen or we disregard it. We have to make a choice. There's no neutrality with Jesus. We are either with him or against him. We either follow him or we ignore him. So let me ask you this morning, what's your verdict? Is he really the son of God? Can you stake your life on his words? I urge you to consider the claims of Jesus Christ upon your life. Is Jesus really the son of God? And if he is, then we can do nothing less than to give him our heart and to crown him king of our life and join the millions who worship him as Savior and as Lord. Let's pray. God, draw us deeper into a relationship with you this day and and sustain us by your steadfast love and faithfulness. Today we give you our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.